Welcome to Naturally Educated. And today we're going to be talking about overexploitation of fisheries. And as always, I'm your host, Majid Al-Qasmi. And with me, as always, my trusty sidekick. Abdurrahman Zabi. Nice to be with you guys. I just want to remind you guys to get in touch with us, reach out with your comments, or even a story to tell us. Uh, tell us what you think about the podcast or this episode specifically. As always, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Environment Abu Dhabi, one word. And you can also find us on our website or YouTube at Environment Agency Abu Dhabi. Give us a like, hit subscribe wherever you find, listen to your podcasts. All right, Abdurrahman, let's be honest. Do you like fish or chips? Listen. <laughs> Trick question. That was fish or chips. Do you like fish? <laughs> it's only exclusively chips here. Um, no, of course I do. Of course. I, I will admit, as I get older, I like fish more and more. Mm. But you know, Fish is is not a given. And we as a coastal people living in the United Arab Emirates and in, you know, the coastal waters here, we rely on fish quite heavily. But do you know about overexploitation of fisheries? I'm not familiar with the details of it, but overall, I hear a lot about climate change and the connection of how the salinity of the sea is increasing and the acidification and so on. Mm. But uh, but yeah, I would love to hear more from your perspective. Well, traditionally, and it's part of our culture, we, we have always been deeply sort of connected to the sea. And from that you know, fish is a major food source for us. But with the growth and the expansion of cities and countries, more and more fish are coming out of our waters. And the truth is, we need to make sure that we're keeping that balance and keeping these fisheries sustainable, making sure that we can draw on them as we need. And we see a lot of interesting approach to how that can be solved. And I think today's guest is going to help us talk a little bit more about what we can expect to understand around overexploitation, mm -hmm. as well as what are some of the things we could be doing. So I'm thinking, let's go straight to our guest and let's see what she has to say. Let's do it. With us today, Noura El Belushi. She's an assistant scientist in the fisheries management department at the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi. Welcome, Nora. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Nora. So, Nora, aquaculture's contribution to world food consumption reached 49% of the world's total food consumption in 2013. Now, according to the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, it's expected to increase to over 62% by 2030. And I, I don't see that as being any different in the UAE. So I want you to maybe paint a picture for us about where fisheries and aquaculture, from your perspective at the Environment Agency, are in relation to this. Sure. So if we look at it from a global perspective, just like you mentioned, aquaculture really is a growing industry. And the concept behind that is to ensure food security. So the case in the UAE is very much like elsewhere in the world. And specifically in Abu Dhabi, we have a target of achieving 10,000 tons of aquaculture production by 2026. Well, And that was set in the latest publication of the Aquaculture Sector Development Plan for the Emirate of Abu Dhabi. So what that really aims to do is to essentially alleviate the pressure off of the Emirates fish stocks and specifically those species that are being very exploited through our fisheries. Yeah, so 10,000 tons, that's a pretty ambitious goal, I suppose. And uh, the reason for such policy to come into place, uh, of course, 
is because of over-exploitation or overfishing. And I suppose this speaks about the seriousness of this issue. So from your perspective, how serious is the issue of over-exploitation? So it's pretty serious. Looking at it from sort of a local perspective, we measure our exploitation of fisheries through some like key performance indicators. So if we look at 2018, for example, our sustainable exploitation index was actually at a very low 5.7%. And it's very important to understand that globally, the minimum threshold for sustainable fisheries is actually at 70%. So we were in quite a bad situation. Mm -hmm. But since then, a lot of strict measures and policies and bans have come into place. So our latest data shows that we've actually reached 62.3% in 2021, which is amazing and it's very impressive. Amazing. Yeah. What a recovery. Yeah. But but still, on the other hand, we still have some species that are still considered overexploited. So at EAD, we actually study 32 species and those species are essentially considered some of the key commercial species in Abu Dhabi. And through our 2021 data, we saw that actually nine of those 32 species are still considered overexploited. So we are making really good progress, but there's still so much work to be done. That is great. I mean, this, that's sort of good news. And I suppose for our listeners, what exact species are we talking about here? So if you look at the overexploited ones, Hamur. Yeah. Hamur is a, is a very big one. And the kingfish. Mm, two of my favorites. Yeah, I was going to say the same. That and Shabby <laughs> on top of that. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> that one's also on the list. Mm-hmm. But the issue really is when it comes to species such as kingfish, Mm. they are pelagic species and they're highly migratory. So it's not just the efforts that we as UAE or we as Abu Dhabi put in. Mm -hmm. It's essentially a shared stock throughout the Gulf. So there has to be regional cooperation when it comes to species like that. This is interesting. And it's obviously us doing our part here, but that's part of a larger contribution that needs to happen. And maybe let's take it to that scale. So why are fish stocks across the world under such severe pressure? So um, I was actually reading last week that we hit the 8 billion mark in terms of the current world population. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's now 8 billion of us. Yes. So it's not really just fisheries that's under severe pressure. It's namely all of the world's resources. Mm -hmm. But then also it's not just the rise in demand that's causing all this pressure because within the marine ecosystem, Mm. you have other factors that are really exacerbating or worsening the situation. So climate change is obviously a huge factor. The spikes that we're seeing in sea level temperatures is really, really insane. For the listeners, what is a rise in sea temperature that is insane? I mean, I know I go in the summer (laughs) and I get in the water. No, I'm just trying to paint a stronger picture. I get in the water in the summer and it's like I'm in a bathtub. Is that normal? Exactly. No, that's not really normal. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Especially throughout the past couple of years, I'd say the last three to four years, we've seen really, really high spikes in the summer months, Yeah, which is not normal at all. And I'm sure that's not just the case in Abu Dhabi. I'm sure that's the case all around the world. Yeah. But then on the other hand, you also have things like ocean acidification that's leading to coral coverage loss. Mm -hmm. And we all know how important corals are to sustain healthy fish populations. Yeah. You also have coastal development and the loss of mangroves. And, and mangroves are essentially really crucial nursery sites for a lot of our key commercial species. Critical. Yeah. And then also on top of that, you have pollution, unsustainable fishing practices. 
you know, your discarded ghost nets. Mm -hmm. So there's really a lot that factors into it. Well, when it comes to increase in demand, I suppose a lot of people are consuming fish at a regular mm -hmm. rate. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it comes to uh, define that for us, are people eating more fish or is it just because the human population is increasing and therefore a lot of fish is consumed? So I think fish has always been a staple in everyone's diet in some countries more than others. Uh, I can say for the UAE, obviously, we know our historical connection with the sea, uh, not just through pearl diving, but technically the sea was the only source of food for our ancestors. So um, That is true. But not just with the growing populations, but also with technology advancements, you are seeing very destructive fishing practices. Fleets are getting bigger and it's sort of a good thing and a bad thing, technology. So you can take it from both ways. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah. And when it comes to pollution, by the way, mm -hmm. I want to expand on this topic because maybe not a lot of people can connect the two. So when we're talking about pollution, are we talking CO2 emissions? And you mentioned ocean acidification. Can you link the two for us? How does one impact the other? Sure. It's actually connected to also the rise in, in sea temperatures. Mm. So essentially, ocean acidification coral causes specifically corals to bleach. So once corals are bleached, that has a negative effect in terms of fisheries, because not only are mangroves uh, key uh, sites for juvenile fish species, but also corals. It really depends on the species you're looking at. Personally, I mean, you see all this media coverage about like plastics mm. and plastic straws and how bad they are for the environment. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the science and the raw data behind everything, what's really affecting fisheries is more unsustainable fishing practices, ghost nets. We don't really have that in Abu Dhabi mm -hmm. just because nets aren't currently being used as a part of our fishing practices. Yeah. You do find some illegal drift nets here and there. But thankfully, with the measures that we put in place, it's not such a big issue anymore. Well, okay, then, Nora, help me understand where you've now led us to with sustainable fishing practices. Mm -hmm. And it's both heartening to hear that, okay, we know what is causing this pressure on our fisheries. But mm -hmm. what are, in that case, sustainable fishing practices versus these ghost nets and these non-sustainable fishing practices? So... If I were to summarize sort of sustainable fishing, it's really just taking what you need and nothing more. Mm. Human population very guilty of not following that all the time. Exactly. We, we can be very greedy as humans sometimes. Mm. But in terms of actual practices on the ground, I always like to mention hadras. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with what hadras are. But what about explaining to the listeners what hadras are? Sure. So hadras are actually intertidal fishing traps. Um, they're traditional fishing traps that have been used in Abu Dhabi for a while. And they're very, very sustainable. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've seen globally such a sustainable fishing year because essentially what happens is all the fish, all the, you know, um, marine life that gets trapped into these hadras mm. can stay alive for several days. And so when the fishermen come to clear everything out, they do sometimes get endangered species such as turtles and everything can be taken out of the hadra in a very safe way, in a way that none of the species are sort of harmed. Mm. And so... What's really special about the Hadra is you have everything still alive inside. So it's a very selective gear. So you have minimal to no bycatch. Oh, wow. You take what you need 
And then any species that are, you know, not of any commercial importance, any species you're not interested in. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of fishermen that find very small species of fish and they just, you know, they can immediately set them back. Yeah. So it's a very, very sustainable fishing gear. And you can pick size and ensure that you're returning you know, young fish or mature fish that are needed to help repopulate as well. Exactly. And anything you don't need, you take straight back. So you've you've mentioned already, and it's been reported that the number of fish sustainably caught in Abu Dhabi waters has surged over the last three years. Mm -hmm. By some estimates, at least 70% of the Emirates fish stock could recover sustainably by 2030 if current fishing practices and conservation efforts continue. But really got to keep this up. So how do we do that? I mean, you've explained now what hadras are, but how do we really get these sustainable fishing practice to scale? So that target is actually a national target mm -hmm. that was set um, in the UAE National Framework for Sustainable Fisheries. And the 70% is actually an international benchmark for sustainable fisheries worldwide. So how do we get there? I think it's just sustaining what we're doing so far, because as we've seen from our results throughout the past couple of years, we are getting very, very good progress. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just staying at what we are at the moment. And also, once we reach that 70%, not going back to what we were doing before, mm -hmm. because obviously pre-2019, we drove fisheries to a very low level of, you know, 5%. Yeah. So even opening post, you know, getting to the 70%, we need to be very careful and we need to properly manage how fishermen are fishing or what gears are allowed because we don't want to go back to where we started. Yeah. And this is the thing. We, we need to be able to come full circle with us living in a sort of sustainable engagement with our fisheries, mm -hmm. which brings up in my mind the idea of fish farming uh, and aquaculture. Like, mm -hmm. What does that have as a role when it comes to sustainable fisheries? So in terms of aquaculture, especially in terms of culturing fish that are local fish that are really in high demand, yeah. that would alleviate the pressure on, on our fisheries. Yeah. But then again, you really have to focus on consumer behavior. Mm -hmm. Talking specifically about Abu Dhabi or the UAE in general, actually, mm -hmm. I don't see that people are very open when it comes to, you know, buying cultured fish or that sort of thing. So I think... There has to be some sort of awareness or, you know, mm -hmm. changing consumer behavior, you know, sort of making that normal. Um, and yeah. I think that's when the aquaculture industry will really have a big benefit towards fisheries. Funny you mentioned that there's actually, at least from my understanding, there is farmed fish that's already in the market. I personally know that sea bass and sea bream that you find mm -hmm. in the in the fish markets here are all are, are majority farmed. Mm -hmm. When you ask about uh, you know consumer behavior, I know we don't have salmon in our waters, but they are being farmed out here. That's true. And even you know my wife's the same. She'll ask where was this fish caught? Where's yeah. this fish from? Mm -hmm. And insist as well when we're anywhere else that we're asking about the fish from their waters, yeah. not fish that's imported. Mm -hmm. You know, you're sitting somewhere on a, 
an island in the Indian Ocean and somebody's like, yeah, this fish is from Europe. Mm-hmm. And you go, uh, why, why are we eating fish from Europe? <laughs> but I agree, like aquaculture has a role in taking pressure off the fisheries. Mm-hmm. It really comes down to how we see that this work is benefiting the UAE. And mm-hmm. I believe your perspective is, you know, that it, it is helping. It's, it's contributing to supporting sustainable fisheries. Yeah. So, Nora, you have an interesting background. You've trained in sort of marine biology uh, or marine sciences, and you're now working in the fisheries management department at the Environment Agency. When we're talking about aquaculture and our fisheries and all of these critical resources for our country, I wanted to know from you, as somebody who's gone and studied, what motivated you to go and study this and with our listeners here today what kind of opportunities do we have with you know this kind of a background this kind of an education in terms of myself i've always been interested in sort of the environment field specifically um as i said my background isn't necessarily fisheries or aquaculture Mm -hmm. i was always interested in bioacoustics with dolphins but um hold on let's get bioacoustics down that sounds really cool what what does that mean yeah super interesting (laughs) so it's basically just studying sounds that dolphins make it's it's very interesting you can go and study that yeah (laughs) awesome (laughs) We have a project that's currently happening in Abu Dhabi. So maybe once that's done and we have the results, we can definitely do something on that. That's pretty cool. You, you went and you studied this. But then I ended up working in fisheries. And I think basically in terms of potential for future generations or whoever is interested in coming into the field, there's big potential. As I said, um, the aquaculture industry, not only in the UAE, but globally is expanding. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of investments that are happening within the aquaculture industry, especially in Abu Dhabi. So there is a lot of potential. The Environment Agency is also currently working on a pilot project for sea cage aquaculture pens. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's it's happening off of Denma Island. Mm-hmm. So it's still in the works, but there's a lot of potential when it comes to the aquaculture industry, especially with research. Mm-hmm. As they diversify into culturing different species, aquaculture is very different depending on the species you culture. So absolutely, there's a lot of potential out there. What I've seen in, in my career now is I was one of the few that had studied veterinary medicine and coming oh, yeah. to work through a sort of career of dealing with the natural assets of a country, whether it's agriculture or, you know, on conservation level, like when I was at the Environment Agency, but to see many more young uh, Imanatis and and many more people find careers in this part of the world in managing the natural assets of the marine life, our blue and green economies. It's really heartening to see that somebody like you can find a way to contribute, build a career. And have something really interesting to do every day. Thank you. And that's what I think what we're trying to hear bring up is to say, look, there's a lot of potential there. And go and follow your interests. So there are a lot of cool things to be doing in this space. That's true. I uh, I wanted to kind of uh, follow up on some of the aspects that the government is, is putting together. So we know that uh, the UAE Framework for Sustainable Fishery is a program that came as a follow-up to the UAE Sustainable Fisheries Program. And all of these efforts, including the Abu Dhabi government's program to address fisheries, and also one of my favorites, which is the UAE Consumer Guide. Mm. So so all of these efforts lead into raising awareness, gathering data, as you mentioned, research, and the effort that you're putting as researcher in this field. 
field. I wonder if you can comment on how are these policies and these efforts helping people make the right decision? I think it's great that we have all these policies and all this work that's being done in terms of, you know, getting legislations passed and all these laws. But a huge part of it is actually compliance. Mm. I mean, it's good to have things on paper, but it's also really, really important for people to comply with what's what's being put out. Yeah. And a big part of that is also what we do is enforcement. Mm-hmm. So as much as we can, you know, we have people on the ground at the markets uh, checking species, if there are any illegal species that are being caught, also in terms of sharks and shark fishing. Mm -hmm. That's also, you know, being regulated. We also have seasonal bans on some species and, you know, we're out there to make sure that they're not being caught. Mm -hmm. It's very, very difficult uh, because you have to think of it of not just being commercial fisheries, but also recreational. So recreational fisheries is a very, very big subsector of fisheries. Mm -hmm. And so to add on to all the work that we've been doing, as you mentioned, there's been a lot of policies, a lot of work on commercial fisheries. Mm -hmm. So at EED, we are now also focusing on regulating recreational fisheries, which again is a massive subsector within fisheries. And really the impact of recreational fisheries has not been studied in the country before. So Mm. that's going to be very interesting to see the results of that. And then besides all the operational stuff that we do, we have sort of research and surveys on the side. Namely, one of, I think, the most significant surveys that we carry out is the FRAS survey. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you're you're familiar with it. I've heard of it, but why don't you explain it for our listeners and Abderrahman? Sure. It's a huge survey. Um, People are out in the water on on a research vessel for six months. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, trawling through the water and also setting fish traps. And Mm -hmm. it's done every couple of years, every four to five years. To assess the status of the stock. Yeah. And it's a completely um, independent survey from the data that we collect operationally from landing sites. So essentially what we do that for is to just corroborate our data and make sure that, you know, the stuff that we're reporting to everyone is actually correct. So that's just a bit of our efforts in terms of research. That is great. Honestly, I am all about consumer awareness and and raising that understanding and awareness that for consumers, because at the end of the day, where is the demand coming from? It's from consumers, right? Mm -hmm. One of the publications that came out that is called the Fisheries and Aquaculture Bulletin. Mm -hmm. That, in my perspective, is such a eye-opening document. Mm -hmm. It shows you not only the different exploitation Mm -hmm. measures that there are, but also the type of species. It's so deep. And it gives you the exact tonnage. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you like it. I love it. I mean, it's, it's so, I, I, yeah. I worked for on that for like four months. So I'm glad there's someone out there that's reading it. <laughs> nice. That is brilliant. I mean, it's so eye-opening. And, and the pictures and the, yeah. the details and all the graphs are, are just, mm-hmm. honestly, I didn't know that, for example, Chenad, which is the kingfish mm-hmm. that we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. is one of the most exploited species uh, in our waters. Yep. Yeah. Since you worked on it, as you mentioned, tell us more about the findings of that report. Sure. So the building really details out what we do on an annual basis, all the work that goes in. Mm-hmm. So we have amazing staff that are in the field every day at landing sites collecting data. So all that data is compiled onto an online system. It's called the National Fisheries Information System. And then at the end of every year, we have all this data on commercial fisheries that's been collected by them. So we really go into the details of catch per season, catch per gear. You have different gears, mm. catch per area because we have different ports in Abu Dhabi. 
So it kind of tells you a story of fisheries throughout the year in Abu Dhabi that is really interesting. And it also has that aspect of aquaculture and aquaculture production. And we also have indicator that uh, measures aquaculture production versus wild catch, because that's one of the things. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, that's one of the things we want to work on mm-hmm. is to have aquaculture production. I don't want to say surpass wild catch, but, you know, have a, have a balance between the two. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, which brings me back to something you said earlier, which kind of blew me away. But when we talk about recreational fishing, yeah. now, in my mind, that's me with a fishing rod pulling a fish out of the water, mm-hmm. going, hey, good catch. Mm-hmm. And I have a few friends who do the same. There's every so often in a WhatsApp, a picture of somebody holding up a big fish. Yeah. And I'm going, great, that's that's lunch for the day. But the way you described it made me think like, what am I missing here? If it's if it's significant or it hasn't been measured mm-hmm. and there's concern, mm-hmm. is recreational fishing people running huge nets through the water? I like I want to understand that better from your perspective. So basically, recreational fishing are only allowed to fish with hook and line. Okay. And I'm saying that from a legal perspective. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when it comes to fines and things that you see out in the water, it's not necessarily just commercial fishermen <laughs> that are causing the damage. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the same on both ends. Yeah. So it's a very big aspect that you need to control. Mm -hmm. And then again, we have a cap in Abu Dhabi. We have a cap on commercial fishermen and commercial fishing vessels, right? Mm -hmm. But then in terms of recreational, that's open and unlimited for people. Wow. So if you look at the scale of how many recreational fishermen you have out in the water, it's actually very, very huge. And, and do you need a license to be a recreational fisher or you just like jump in a boat and go? Yes, yes, you do. You need a license and you can actually apply for that online. It's very easy. It takes like two minutes. And you See, can... I didn't even know that. I thought I'd get a line, go out in the boat and be like, all right, wow. let's go. I, I, I know it's like that in Abu Dhabi. I just wonder if that's a federal or a local local thing. But um, I'm not sure if it's a federal thing. Yeah. Uh, what, what gets me is there was this one time where... <laughs> My uncle brought back so many fish. I'd asked him how big the team was that was bringing all this fish. Mm-hmm. It was one 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 day's catching, and I was thinking, okay, I don't need all four fish he's giving me. The one would be great, mm-hmm. but I don't know what to do with the rest of the fish. And is that there? You know, people who like to go on these fishing trips are they just pulling in massive hauls? That's exactly because you have to think of it. It's also a hobby. It's not mm, just people, right, exactly. Yeah, it's not just people going to fish because they need. F- fish or they need something for lunch exactly they're not catching their lunch it's yeah some people actually really enjoy it which i don't think is 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 an issue but like when we're targeting the same species over and over again Mm. that's not a good thing you know yeah you're just reinforcing that 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 pressure yeah especially if you look at like I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with fishing competitions. We have a lot in Abu Dhabi. Oh, really? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. The Chennai one is crazy. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's controlled by the Environment Agency. So we are involved in the process. But if you look at the people that are really good at catching kingfish, they're mostly recreational fishermen. And people that actually participate in these sort of competitions are all recreational fishermen. So that sort of makes you think about how much impact are these people actually having on fish stocks. So when we're talking about recreational fishing and other fishing mechanisms, we've seen bans on encircling nets and we've seen work on new marine reserves, seasonal fishing bans, even minimum catch sizes and all these awareness campaigns for local fishermen. What more can we do to help? 
So again, I'm going to go back to the point of, you know, just changing your behavior as an individual, like consumer behavior, Mm -hmm. really encouraging people to start consuming a more diverse variety of fish species, not just the typical hamur, chanad, safi, shari, Mm -hmm. because we are exploiting those species at a very, very large rate in comparison to other species. We have huge diversity in our waters. And then I think also educating the younger generation, whether you have kids, whether you're a brother or a sister, just sort of making sure that kids grow up knowing about sustainable fisheries, about why it's important, sort of different things are important in terms of aquaculture, in terms of why you should fish sustainably. Yeah, I think when kids grow up with more environmental awareness, hopefully they'll grow up to be more sustainable and have less impact and damage on the environment than than we had. For me, uh, when we get together with the family on Fridays, I'm always looking at what fish we have. And I'm always excited when it's shari and I'm happy it's not shari every week. So part of me making sure that we're also on side for, for this. Uh, sometimes it's chanad, sometimes shari, sometimes it's sea bream, hamor every so often, but, but that it's in rotation. And then we as a family, and I'm talking about like almost 20 adults and then all the kids, that we're not making masses of dishes that then are wasteful. One of my brothers actually is a free diver. And what he does catch, he eats. Uh, so whenever something is mm-hmm. brought from one of those, which we are all partaking of all people, he would not want to waste what he catches. It's an interesting perspective when you can see it on your plate. For me, at least when I work on food security and sustainability of our food system, I'm also thinking about consumers having that awareness at the plate. When they're looking at their plate, they can see where the fish has come from and at least are asking the questions mm-hmm. about, you know, what am I doing to make sure the fish can continue to come to my plate and isn't overexploited? That is very important. And I think different countries have different strategies on how they, they do that. I mean, if you look at tuna industry, I think it was in Europe and also in Australia, they have those dolphin labels on them, yep. which means that... Dolphin safe or dolphin free. Yeah. So maybe looking at something like that would, would, would work for the UAE. That's that's a very interesting perspective, actually. Yeah, yeah. Sort of marketing or, or what what they call food labeling and marketing. Yeah, is important for awareness. So, Nora, I would like to get your take on education in this context. So, uh, would you say that more education about you know aquaculture or or sustainability uh, or sustainable fishing be necessary to raise awareness for the younger generation as well as the older generation? Yeah, I think so. When you grow up with a certain mindset or certain values, you carry those on as you get older. So, it's very good to start young. But then also for the older generation, as you were saying, I think when we talk about fishing and especially about what we consume, what's on our plates, as a kid, you don't really have a choice. You have whatever is put in front of you. So it's very important That's true. for parents to play that role and be like, and, you know, to educate their kids and sort of explain what's on their plate, why we're not having hamur for the second time in a week, you know, second row in a week. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, just those small things, I think, make a huge difference, especially as a kid. You take a lot of that stuff in. That's true. And of course, I think as a, a like a whole of society kind of approach, because it's the same thing with sustainability. A lot of people, uh, when 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 I worked in, in sustainability and renewable energy specifically, they say, just educate the kids, just 
to educate the kids, yeah. ask them to switch off the lights yeah. while their parents are, are you know, <laughs> full on LED, not LEDs, you know, old, old school lights. And, and so, you know, both education, what you get in school, but also what you get at home have to kind of catch up. And for people to wake up and realize that this is an important issue. Yeah, I think it's not not such a great feeling if your kid comes back from school and, and tells you that you're not doing something that's so great for the environment. I think that sort of makes you feel bad. You can also guilt trip parents, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're teaching their kids. That, yeah, in that case. Yeah. That's what my kids are doing with me all the time now. <laughs> <laughs> but they want games. <laughs> so I'm the one doing the educating at home uh, around food and, and fish. <laughs> so my thinking is there, with, with all of this education, are there programs that we have in school that are making that impact already? Does the Environment Agency have a program where they're engaging with schools? Yeah, um, so we have a program that's called the Sustainable Schools Initiative. Mm -hmm. That's more on the outreach side of things. So I can't really go into much details on what they do, but a big part of that is raising environmental awareness throughout these different schools. We also have an online platform where you can maybe high school, higher education, but yeah, for people that are interested, there's an online learning platform as well where you can learn all about what we do as environment agency to both sustain our fisheries and in terms of also protecting biodiversity. So that's all available out there. And there's a lot of resources for people that are interested, but it's also about getting people interested and, you know, getting people to know that at this point, we, we've reached a point where it's not really a choice. It shouldn't be a sort of, oh, should I be more environmentally friendly? I, I think we've reached a place where everyone needs to be environmentally friendly. Yeah, um, I like the way you put it. It's not a choice. It's not an if. Yeah. It, it has to. Yeah, it's not a choice anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And speaking of that thing that you have to do, uh, I wonder if you uh, want to kind of round things up and give us your take or your perspective at what we should not be doing uh, and how can we help to raise awareness for, for us uh, speaking and also the people listening not be doing maybe um not fishing without the recreational license yeah step one <laughs> yeah be held accountable I think, yeah just again thinking more about what you consume as an individual and not sort of thinking that uh, what I consume as an individual does not make a difference because yeah it really does on, on a larger scale it really really does what you should be doing is, is again, educating people, especially, I think, within our society. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say we're not very aware, but there might be a lot of people, regardless of, you know, whether they're really into fishing and, 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 and you know, going out at sea and diving, they might not really be aware of overexploitation in terms of fisheries or That's true. how important it is to not target the same species. At, at a large scale, um, or just simple things like rules and regulations, do's and don't do's. So um, there are a lot of people that are not aware of minimum size lengths yeah. uh, when catching fish. So I think it's just like speaking about getting the conversation going about uh, there is sort of a guideline that you should be following when it comes to fishing. And, and those guidelines and restrictions are not only on commercial fishermen. 
I think that's a misconception. Right. Is that a lot of it is for commercial fishermen? Right. That makes no. Yeah. It, it's it's for both. Yeah. For me, the thing is always to start that conversation. Mm-hmm. What I'm sort of coming to mind is typically we're sitting at lunch, and sometimes you know somebody in the family will ask one of the elders in the family, sort of, mm-hmm. what kind of fish is this? Mm-hmm. And we start to say, oh, this is this fish, this is that fish, and then the question is, okay, well. Do you know if this is overfished? It's to sort of like prompt those questions to get the conversation going. Yeah. And uh, at least that's how we do it with with the kids. Uh, I remember very fondly uh, one of my uncles uh, who said, you know, to me and my brothers, he asked, he's like, mm-hmm. where is this fish from? Where do you think this fish is from? And sort of me and my brothers were racking our brain. We're going, oh, my God, is this from Sharjah? Is this, I don't know, is this a deep sea? And he said, is this from, from, them? and he turned around to you like, it's from the sea. And we're like, oh, right. Okay. He's being funny. Oh, look. He's trying to be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, it, you know, at least to have the conversation where you are in front of the fish is important. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to drop bad jokes, you've got to have a warning. That's true. <laughs> On more of a serious note, um, this is such a delicate thing to balance for policymakers. Mm-hmm. How do you tell people that grew up culturally eating fish on Friday yeah. mm-hmm. uh, that is endangered or about to be extinct not to eat that. Mm-hmm. This is how do you change a culture is the question that we're trying to ask here. Jashid yeah. and sharks, right? That's always oh, yeah. the first that's thing that's on my mind. Thing. It's like how do you tell them like no? Yes. We're not we're not fishing sharks. Yeah. And you're going, yo, this is what I eat. But you know what's very interesting is I think a lot of the older generation they're more understanding than younger. Yeah, younger citizens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when it comes to shark fishing for Instagram, you know, oh, because wow. they think it's cool. Oh, really? That's a shame. <laughs> That's also a very big issue. But um, I think a lot of the elder generation, especially I've, I've seen through, you know, the work that we do, mm-hmm. the traditional fishermen, the older fishermen, they were the most people that were supportive of these bans that we put in place. Amazing. And they're the people that are actually really happy now and, and, and coming back to us, you know, and giving us really positive feedback. So I think that people that are actually understand the way the sea works and are really connected to the sea, mm. they don't want to be in a situation where they're damaging it. Yeah. So I think the older generation, I feel like, understands much more than... Um, and sort of people that are just getting into it. I think I think that comes from having such a deep relationship mm-hmm. with it. They know mm-hmm. where and what a sort of sustainable population looks like. And when you take more than you need yeah. and more than you are allowed yeah. in the sense of creating a sustainable withdrawal, yeah, they know if you take more than the fishery produce, well, mm-hmm. tomorrow you don't have fish. Yeah. And again, they never used to fish at the rate that we're fishing now. They never exactly. had the engines. They never had mm-hmm. the boats and the technology and the fish finders. Mm-hmm. So it's a very different situation. Back then they were fishing very sustainably compared to now. Yeah. Oh, of course. So thank you, Noura Al-Bloshi, Assistant Scientist in the Fisheries Management Department at the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi. Thank you so much for your time today. This was a really, really cool chat. And, and we're loving having you. Thank you so much for having me again. And it was lovely chatting with you all. Thanks. Thank you, Nora. Well, thank you for being with us, everybody. Just wanted to make sure and remind you that you can get in touch and reach out with your comments or even with a story to tell uh, and tell us what you think. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Environment Abu Dhabi, one word. 
or find us on our website or on YouTube at Environment Agency Abu Dhabi. Give us a like and hit subscribe wherever you find or listen to your podcasts. So for me, Majid, and my trusty sidekick, Abdurrahman, it was nice to be with you guys. Thank you, guys. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you. Bye.